All right, here we are. Episode five of The Punt. We've got Nick Williams here. Um, racehorse owner, businessman, punter. <laughs> um, a bit lighter in the racehorse department now, though, aren't you? Uh, yeah, a little bit lighter. We've still yeah. got plenty of them. Uh, yeah. I've got to say, yeah. So I thought, I thought... We're overweight. I thought for something different, we might start at the end and work our way back. And so when I say the end, I mean the, the closure of Macedon Lodge. So end of an era. How long have you guys been there? Uh, we've been there since uh, about 2006, I think. Okay. Um, it's a fantastic facility, no yeah. question. Best, best facility in the country. Yeah. It's a huge advantage. Mm. Um, the question for us is we really haven't got enough horses to maintain it. You know, it's an expensive, yeah. it's an expensive uh, place to maintain. Um, and, you know, the guys that have bought it will do well there. You know, I'm sure a lot of winners will continue to come out of there because it's, it's certainly an advantage to train from there. It's, and they're, you know, they're racehorse owners, are they? Yeah, I think he's putting a number of trainers in there. I'm not exactly sure who, but... Right, so the intention is to continue as a racehorse Yeah, that's over. as I understand it, yeah. Yeah, okay. And that, is that pleasing for you guys? I mean, yeah, I think it is. You know, it's we there was, we had a number of opportunities to sell it and, uh, I, you know, over the last couple of years is when we decided to and... And, you know, really we decided to, I guess, because uh, Dad's not getting any younger. Yeah. He likes to be very hands-on with the horses and that sort of was becoming less less of a less of a uh, proposition as he got older and uh, I certainly don't want to be a quasi-racehorse trainer. So, yeah. um, you know, we thought that the best thing to do was move back into a more traditional way of yeah. running our horses. Um, but, yeah, so a number of people had tried, uh, you know, had, had, had been interested in buying it and we... We were pretty keen to make sure that the place maintained its legacy by mm. getting into a good home where. And did you, was that part of the sale, or you can't? Yeah. Really? So well, actually, part of the sale. Well, was it no, no, be... it was. We, you know, we went through what the people were going to do with it. And, okay. You know, yeah. There's a number of people that didn't want it as a horse place, right. and we thought that uh, we'd done so much to with the infrastructure there that it would be a crime really sure. to allow that to yeah. happen. So yeah. we made sure that this this guy seemed uh, pretty keen to keep going yeah. with it. So that seemed like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And how. Like your dad, where's he going to get his fix of being involved with the horses? It seems like he loves to be part of it. How? So yeah, it's it's going to be difficult for him. There's no yeah. question about that because he loves being there with them and day in day out. But you know, I think uh, dad's greatest strength, and you know, it's certainly the greatest strength that we've had over a huge period of time, is his strategy with the horses yeah. and his planning. Um, and you know, we still get the benefit of that, which I think is is a huge edge. You know, certainly. In the races that we are keen on, which are you know, most of the big sort of handicap type races, um, you know, the strategy of getting your horses to them is, you know, is a is sometimes a an eighteen month or a two year plan. Mm. So, you know, that's not many of the big stables are in a position to be able mm. to do that. And uh, you know, that's something that Dad over a period of fifty years has probably done better than anyone. Yeah, so, you know, he's a he's a marvel at it. And just on the day to day placing of horses, this is a punting show, so a lot of people will be interested in this. Do you guys have analysts, form analysts and stuff to help you try and place the horses as best as possible? Um, I mean, obviously this is probably in the past, over the last few years, when you've had a lot of horses. No, not really. Um, we've we've had we well we have we've had we always have a racing manager that works for us, and um, we had you know in the recent times there's Jim Bowler followed by Malcolm McLaren, mm. both uh, ex-handicappers from uh, Racing Victoria, and they certainly have helped. But really, Dad places the horses and. You know, you'll see you see from time to time with us that a lot of the the sort of general public punters are sort of screaming why are we running a horse here or there, but and it may seem wrong on that day, but if you if you're thinking forward like we tend to do it, it it's and you're playing a long game, it's uh, you know it's the right race for them 
depending on where they've got to go. And that's, mm. you know, that's what I say, as opposed to a big stable, Dad's, Dad has a wonderful uh, ability to be able to think, well, this horse can get us to say, a, you know, whatever, a Sydney Cup, how are we going to get it there? And, you know... So it's, setting, it's like setting up for a grand final. Well, it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, because they're handicap races, you've got to be mindful that you want to get them there in the best with the best weight you can. So, so you steer is you saying you steer away from the weight for age races? Not 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 necessarily, you know, Just you might the type steer, of horse you might depending buy. on what they are, you might steer towards weight weight for yeah. age races, yeah. but but uh, you know it's uh, you just you just place them appropriately. Um, you know it's you know I've seen a you know there's been a couple of pretty obvious examples of high profile horses in the last uh, four or five years that have cost themselves major cups in this country by being uh, you know, they've won Group 1 races along the way, but it's cost them the opportunity of winning sort of Caulfield Cups and Melbourne Cups Yeah. Uh, when they could have run in weaker races on the day and saved themselves a couple of kilos. And, you know, I'm sure those owners think look at, look now at their sort of minor Group 1 trophies and think, what if? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's 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 a matter of... you've have, yeah, In horse racing, you often have to give something away to get something greater. And sure. It's, and yeah. it's a game of patience. Yeah, and it's because Bart Cummings mm. got that famous quote that the cheapest thing in horse racing is patience. So yeah, it's yeah. the hardest thing too. I was going to say Bart Cummings. Well, he, he, your dad followed in his Bart Cummings's shadow or, or footsteps or whatever the way Bart used to train. Yeah, he always looked the big picture. Tommy Smith. Every every time he put a horse in a race, for example, they were trained to win that the next race. It yeah. was just there was no long term planning, even though he was a super trainer. You know, it's just like every race they went in, whereas your dad's always looked at the big picture, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he has. And mm-hmm. and what, one of the things he does that, you know, people probably wouldn't be aware of, but he's done it, you know, he's certainly done it all my life, is he doesn't look at the results of or where horses are placed on face value. He investigates it with mm. whether that be Bart or Tommy or someone. Yeah. Because he knows they're smart and he'll think, why would that horse be running in that race? And he'll find out why. And, you know, he's got a great memory and he never yeah. forgets. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, he's built up, you know, he started as a punter when he was 18 or 19. And, you know, he, like all of us in racing, he, he tried to get an edge by having a bit more knowledge than the next guy. Um, and so did he, when he was 18 or 19, did he have no money? Was he just starting no, out? He was just starting out, yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. You know, he was uh, out of school trying to get a quit on the golf course and at the racetrack. Because yeah. Lloyd always had the reputation when I was young, back in, the, I'm talking when I probably first heard of him, it was in the early 80s. As an astute punter. Yeah, yeah. He was always known as a very astute racing bloke. He was tied up with a guy called Kevin Curtin, who was a trainer. Uh, Who used to wear the fame, your colours. Yeah. Kevin Curtin's colours were the... Well, no, they weren't. Kevin actually had blue with two armbands on them. Oh, two? But they were were, were, were so similar, it's not funny. Oh, I just thought they were Kevin Curtin's colours. No, Kevin trained some terrific horses for Dad. They were... Yeah. Absolutely as sick as was these. nearest one of your dad's nearest. nearest, nearest was, I remember nearest. Well, nearest was, was the straight down one. the straight. So yeah. a lot of the success. I, I think nearest actually started with Tommy, um, and Did then, it really? was, then yeah. Dad transferred it to. Yeah. I only remember Kevin Curtin having. Yeah, yeah. I was only a kid Kevin though. And, you know, nearest held the record, I think, for many years for the most amount of wins at Sandown. Near, near, near yeah, that yeah. was a good horse. Nearest, yeah, he was. that was in the late seventies. Yeah, he was a great yeah. welter type horse. My word, yeah. So did your dad? Did your dad sort of get his start in business from punting? No, I don't think. No, I wouldn't say. I think that they were concurrent. But yeah, you know, it's a, he was, he was certainly always trying to just do it a bit, bit better than the next person, and he's got a keen eye for it all. And you know, it's <laughs> racing's no different to anything else, is it? You've got to pay to learn. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, if, which I haven't, but if I sat down with him, I'm sure the early days weren't very kind to him on the punting, and he realised that I need to uh, 
I need to get myself a bit more knowledge here. And you know, the one thing you can't buy in racing or in business or in anything, I suppose, is experience. And, mm, yeah. You know, you look at racing's unbelievable. I was I was with one of the uh, one of the sales company principals um, over the weekend, and they were saying to me that someone in their office was saying, "I wonder who the new guy's going to be this year." You know, because every year yeah. in racing, there's a new guy that pops up and spends millions and millions yeah. of dollars, and <laughs> sometimes they're there in five years. Most of the time, they're not. We, they're but, great, aren't they? We, yeah. we want them to be. Yeah, they're going. fantastic. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, yeah. and uh, um, you oh, know, but I totally see your point. Yeah. And but you know, the truth is, until you've been in racing for twenty odd years, I suppose you really haven't got a clue what's going on. That's well, that's the reality. It's so of it. true. And, and I was I'm I'm I found out something a few years ago. Not many people have longevity in racing because they can't handle it, the ups and downs yeah. of it. And it takes you a long time to learn how to manage it. And you can only manage, learn through experience. And not many people last that long mm. to learn mm. the they craft. Don't. And that's the bottom yeah. line of it. You know, yeah. and, and everyone, when they're young, makes a lot of mistakes in racing. Of course, of course. And, you know, and, and most people drop out of it. And the other yeah. thing with racing too is it has this... <clears throat> Very strange habit that when you first get there, you get a decent horse. Yeah, <laughs> it's always like the first day. The first day you go to the races, you win. Races, you win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> always, always. It sucks you in. <laughs> and, but the trouble is, when they stop winning, they really stop winning. Yeah. You know, when they're winning, they win. You know, it's, there's no such thing as a sort of even keel in racing, is mm. there? It's you're either hot or you're cold. There doesn't yeah. seem to be any in between. Everyone yeah. has a run. Yeah, they do. And, <laughs> Jockeys, and trainers, putters, yeah, bookies. Everyone, everyone, and that's just that's the way that's the way racing mm. goes. It's a, it's a it's a it's an amazing game, and it, it's it's bloody good for life, I reckon. In that in that it teaches you to lose, is you know is is one thing, yeah. but what it really does, in you know, I think has the biggest effect in what I do in business. It really teaches you when you know, when you need to cut and run and when to hang in. Yeah, you know it's it's it teaches you strategy and tactics. You know mm. which you, you know you need to have to survive in the game. Mm. I'm interested in hearing more about business your business career a little bit later. But before we sort of move on from Lloyd and the Melbourne Cup and stuff, can you think of a particular horse in sort of this last say since efficient that you guys have found and then placed the Melbourne Cup and won with? That would be an interesting story that you can just tell. People are watching about the strategy behind it, and you said it was an eighteen-month process. Um, I think people find that really interesting to hear about. If you can think of one horse in particular, the story behind how you got it. Well, um, they're, they're, you know, I can pick any one. It's always the same, but mm. you know, it's not always the same. It's, they're all different, but it's always a long-term plan. And you know, Green Moon was an interesting, interesting consideration. We, I think, the initially Green Moon was owned in the UK by the Rothschild family. Wouldn't have thought they'd be ideal vendors, would you? <laughs> on face value. Um, and um, I, it was in a derby trial, which the derby trial as in his three-year-old year, which was in about May, I think, or late, late April or early May. I think Frankie rode it. Yeah. And Frankie had said to Dad, gee, you've ridden a good horse today. And I don't it didn't win anyway. Next, it won its next start. But uh, then it went to Ascot and it, it lost its mind and, and it just kept getting worse. It was right. trained by Harry Dunlop. Anyway, we made a big offer for it during the year after it ran, won it, ran its bad race and they said no. Is this on Frankie's advice? Is that Well, Frankie first alerted us right. to it, I think. And, uh, and so there's people, and like, we were watching it, it. people like that out in the world knowing that Lloyd is looking. Yeah, oh, there's, you, know, there's, you can imagine in racing there's every man in his dog trying to get, get that. But yeah. interestingly, um, you know, we use a huge array of bloodstock agents and, you know, to whatever we're trying to do, but... 
interestingly, I can't actually ever think of a horse that we've bought that someone's, bar one, that someone's come to us and said, here, I've got a horse for you to buy. It's always been us ring a bloodstock really? agent and say, here's, here's a horse, we want you to mm. go and chase. Wow. Mm. So I could, there's never been one that someone's rung up and we've actually bought. It's always been us initiating. Yeah. And, and, you know, my father's not one of the great sleepers in the world and he, I reckon he watches every race in the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere seven days a week. So wow. There's not many horses <laughs> that get under his guard. And, and, you know, I've got a pretty good network in the Northern Hemisphere particularly. I reckon I know what's going on with most of the horses up there. Mm. Um, so we've got a pretty good system. But anyway, getting back to Green Moon... Um, so we'd made a big offer for him in the middle of the year. I think it was he'd run at Ascot and run mm. tailed off. And um, I, ha I wasn't at Ascot that year, but someone was there that said his eyes looked like poker machines. They were spinning and he was mad. Right. And, you know, yeah. the horse was an absolute head case and a muck lather. And we thought, perfect. You know, they'll be sick of this now. They've had Ascot and it's embarrassed them at Ascot. Well, no, that didn't work. So anyway, we waited. We sort of really put a line through it, said, oh, that won't be sold anyway. Ran a few more times and it just kept getting worse. <laughs> um, so at the end of the season, they actually entered him in the horses in training sale. And so we went, as soon as we saw he was entered, we got someone to ring up again and we bought him for the proverbial pie and sauce. Right, so um, you got him cheap. Yeah. yeah, and I remember the bloodstock agent that did it for us said, well, you know, the first thing you've got to do is geld this horse, obviously. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so he came to us, the horse came to Australia and we, and Dad, to his credit, all he did was said, we're just going to make this horse happy. And he just walked him around Macedon and walked, and he wanted to kill people and bite people. He was a horrible <laughs> bloody thing when we got him. Had to have a muzzle on him, he was that bad. Um, but, you know, it was probably for six months, walked him and walked him and walked him and just, you know, kidded to him really. You know, I remember the bloodstock agent came out in about, in the beginning of spring and said, um, I'm looking forward to how's Green Moon going now he's a gelding. I said, well, you'll be a bit shocked. He's not a gelding. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, what? And my father turned around and he said, you know, he said, this is why you're a, best you stay a bloodstock agent. He said, he's by Monju. He said, can you find me a good Monju gelding there's ever been? He said, you geld them, they fall apart. He said, the breed don't take it. Mm. And the guy went, oh. Anyway, he won the Newcastle Cup, that preparation, did, and yeah. uh, that was his first preparation with us. And, and, you know, if he he probably arguably should have won the Caulfield Cup, except that he he was so wide most of the trip that he was, you know, about, we had to buy him grandstand tickets. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, he was he just missed there, got beaten by Southern Speed, I think it's called. Um, Southern Speed, um, yeah. Craig Williams. Uh, Liam McDonald, yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, he was, and then we just brought him back for the one run in the autumn, which is something we like to do because they have, a, our horses have a particularly tough, Spring for the Melbourne Cup, we like to get. The, we like to think our horses are fitter than anyone else's. And what was that one run? Sorry, mm. what that, was that one run? One in the blaming, I think. Mm. Okay, yeah. That's it, I've noticed that over the years. It, it's a great ploy. Gay did it with Fiorento. One run in the autumn. So well, what's who, do you know who planned that? Well, preparation? your dad. <laughs> yeah. sure. No, but it was your dad's thing. The yeah. one run in the autumn. You bring him back into the spring, and you like to run him in the Cox Plate. Yes. Then the Melbourne. Cup. And what's the distance of the blaming? A mile. Yeah. He just missed in the blame. We were actually disappointed. So you he, you lit him up like he was he was really oh, ready. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was ready to go. Yeah. But, but we were disappointed he didn't win. But yeah. uh, anyway, he didn't win. Uh, I don't think he. Well, I think he ran second from memory. He might have won. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. but he, I know we weren't wrapped with the run at the time. Yeah. Anyway, he came back in the in the spring and he, I think he ran the fan and fan the Turnbull 
um, the Cox Plate change of jockey Melbourne Cup. Mm. Um, the world had given up on him after the Cox Plate, after Craig got him cut in half coming out of the straight the first time. Um, anyway, so we had a change of plan there and or Ch Craig decided probably I think he was going to have a change of plan. And um, as uh, as there seems to be in those days, there was a red button on the phone in, at Dad's house, that, that, you know, when, when in doubt, ring Preble. Yeah, um, so... Right. The phone call, the other red was button. Was he in Hong Kong? He was in Hong Kong. Yeah. He was riding in Hong Kong. Um, so we'd rung, rung Breddy and Breddy, Breddy, came, Breddy came mm -hmm. out and Julie won. And what, not, not only a great jockey, but a great Flemington jockey. Yeah, yeah. Great, He rides yeah. Flemington unbelievably. He does. And, yeah, you know, great Bre Flemington jockey. When, uh, you know, John Marr was Dad's private trainer, you know, Breddy was his apprentice. Mm. So, yeah. Um, you know, he's had a huge relationship with us. He's a very close family friend. Um, what price know, was Green Moon that day? Oh, Adam would know better than me. 20s or something? 26. I, I backed it on the tote, $27. Yeah. Yeah. It's lovely. <laughs> it was funny, actually. I was. Yeah, uh, was like, I think it was 20 to 1 in the ring. $21 in the new, 20 to 1 in the old. I was, 2012. I had a story relayed to me last night. I was fortunately last night, a dear friend of mine who passed away this year was inducted into this Sport Australia Hall of Fame, Shane Warne. And. His daughter was relaying a story to me that, that uh, she'd that he'd told her she was too young at the time, that which is true, that in two thousand and twelve, uh, Warney was at the races with us, and I was trying to have a bet, mm. and I my phone wouldn't work at Flemington as they didn't as it a lot of times in week, those absolutely. days. Absolutely, yeah. And Warney had a different, you know, he was on a different network in his work, so I borrowed his phone, and he heard me have the bet. And he, she said, as soon as he heard me have the bet, he got his phone back and he just got every dollar he had in his pocket and ran down to the tote and had it all on. He's uh, on Green still, Moon. Yeah, and he yeah. still says it's the biggest win he's ever had at the races. Yeah, so was, He'd have a fair amount in his pocket yeah, warning, Just a funny thing about the phones. I remember coming, you know, like over the years, we'd all, I'd always go to Flemington Cup Week, you know, in the early 2000s or whatever. I'd always get a Vodafone card because Vodafone well, that's, Tel Telstra right. wouldn't work. Yes, yeah. You'd have well, trouble with the And I'd actually exactly get a Vod Vodafone work because not many people had Vodafone yes, on that network. And it used to work. Yeah, so well, that's exactly you had to get another it, yeah. phone for Cup Week because your phones wouldn't work. Anyway, properly. so that was, yeah. it was a, look, that was a great day. And as um, Brady said, and I think he's ridden in a lot of Melbourne Cups, he said, it's not often at the mile you just know you're going to yeah. win. And he said, before we, he said, I hate admitting this because he prides himself on being pretty focused, Brett. He said, before we'd straightened, I was thinking about what I was going to say in the presentation. <laughs> yeah, it's travelling that well. Yeah, yeah no, it, yeah. Won, it won well. Yeah. yeah. And he, he hit the lead, dashed to the front and that was it. Well, he did, say, he did say, he said he went too early on it. He said, but it got to a point the horse was going so well when it straightened. He said, I'm just going to go win the race now. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. weight did he have, 52? 53 and a half. 53 and a half, that's yeah. right, yeah. You don't mind going to the lead too early when you've got 53 and a half, no. I suppose. Yeah. No, yeah. And do you have a um, favourite Melbourne Cup winner or is that it, sort of asking what your favourite trial is? Oh, look, no. I, I suppose um, Efficient was pretty special. Yeah, and he's I, a pretty I, special I, horse. He's a great Efficient's horse. the best horse you've had anything to do with I think yet. so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I would he's think a so. a very good race. Well, I think Reset, Reset's probably the best horse I've had anything to do yeah. with since I've been involved. You know, I'm not yeah. counting mahogany and horses like that that yeah. were really before my hands on time. But, yeah. but you know, Efficient could have done – if he was sound, oh, God only knows what he could have done. He's an life. outstanding you know, race horse. You know, as an eight-year-old, he just got beaten in the Sydney Cup. Hadn't had a saddle on his back for seven weeks. All he'd yeah. done is swim because he had a foot. Mm. And 
you know, we, we'd actually taken him to Sydney for the chairman's and Ray Murray, he pulled him out and said he couldn't run. We took him back again the next week for the for the uh, Sydney Cup and he let him run and Neewot just beat him. You know, mm. he, I think if he should, well, I'm sure he would have been top weight. I can't remember the weights, but yeah, Neewot was down the bottom of the weights, I'm sure. And, it, you know, but he had, literally hadn't had a saddle on his back for seven yeah. weeks or eight weeks. Going into a two-mile race. Going into a two-mile yeah. race and it was... Uh, you know, it was a remark- remarkably gutsy run, you know, for a horse that was well beyond his best, but it just showed the natural talent. You know, it's I suppose he really showed his natural talent the day he won the derby, I think. That was, yes, you know, he that was when he – because he was very lightly raced, right? And yeah, everyone, was, as soon was, as he won the derby, everyone said he'll win the Melbourne Cup yeah, next was, year. Well, yeah, well, we were hoping he was going to win the Melbourne Cup that year. Did he say that it? about a lot of derby? Well, uh, what happened? Did he run into that? No, we accepted with him, but he pulled up badly. It's, That's it's right. the same foot. And he was right in the market the same, too, right? Yeah, the, well, he would have won. He would have been fight. would have started yeah. favourite, I'd imagine. No way. Were you confident that he would have won? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt he would have won. As yeah. a three-year-old? Yeah. Well, wow. he would have only had 47 and a half kilos. Yeah, don't think there's any Craig Dillon was booked to ride him, which is ironic because Craig rode him his first start and got three months. Yeah. Um. And, you know, yeah, it was only in his first preparation. Craig must have been just back. You know, I think he had his first start in July or something, just gone through. And we'd sort of taken him the, through the lesser races until we got, you know, the first time he really stepped up was in the Vars. And, you know, he made a mess of them in the Vars and made a mess yeah. of them in the Derby. Um, you know, he's, you know, he's winning the Vars, I think. He's, he's won, he run, ran him second and a half quicker than the Cox Plate. Um, yeah, he was an outstanding. Yeah, he was a special horse. There's no and we, you're at, at the track for Flemington and Melbourne Cup there when he won. Of course, yeah. And um, it was just all over at the 300, wasn't it? Like he just came out. Yeah. And it was just like... Well, it's it's funny actually. We're the favourite in the race, um, zipping. Yeah. And Danny Nicklick was riding it. He gave it a great ride actually, but he actually you know zipping was best ridden dead cold, and so Danny had gone a bit earlier than Michael Rod on. Efficient and efficient hadn't won for a while, and you know Stevie Arnold had been riding him, and he was out of form. And Stevie had decided to ride Gallic in the race. Um, another one of ours, that unfortunately, got scratched on Cup morning, hurt himself getting out of the float coming back from the beach of all things. Um, and uh, it was terribly sad for Steve Arnold because he's been working for us up until this day. To be honest with you, nothing would have been more than for us to have won a Melbourne Cup with Steve. Mm. Um, but if you watch the replay of that race, you see Danny making his run. And in making his run, he knocked Michael Rod back in. And that probably won Michael Rod the race because mm. he was going to go too early, too early on him. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, Zipping gave him the drag into the race and off he went. But, um, you know, Zipping couldn't quite get the two miles. But, no. you know, he was uh, – the way he powered home, he, uh, it was a battle of attrition with him and Luca Kamani's horse, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Give the slip, I think, was it? No, it was uh, Purple Moon. Oh, Purple Moon, yes. sorry, you're right, yeah. But no, I, actually, if, I, if I think Moon. about it, the most satisfying of them is Twilight Payment, mm-hmm. I reckon. The last one, 2020, yeah. 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 And you, you weren't, were you at the track that yeah, day? No. You no, weren't allowed to be, were you? I was in the Prince of Wales Hotel with one of my partner, who I, part owners, Jerry Ryan. Uh, we were allowed to be there, but we weren't allowed to be at the track, which sort of seemed a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was, uh, I'm sure he would have preferred us to be at the track because by, by the time we left his pub at about 5 o'clock the next morning, he was... Yeah. So who was allowed to be at the track? The no, one, no one. It was right at the end of the, the, the trainer, trainer and the strapper. Yeah. yeah. It was right at the end of the. You think of they would have made exception for a couple of the owners, like like spread the owners yeah. out or something? You know. No, he he was a good story. Twilight payment. We would we'd. I was in Ireland, um, eighteen months before. We had a good horse in Ireland called Latrobe, and he's running a race called the Curra Cup, 
we're getting him ready to bring him out here for the Melbourne Cup. And it's, you know, it's a good race, the Carra Cup, Group 2 race, 2,800 metres. And uh, Donica O'Brien was riding Latrobe and he got just got the dream run in the race behind this horse of Jim Bulger's. And he pulled out to go past him and he looked like he was just going to put four on him. He couldn't get past the leader. The leader just wouldn't stop. And I was standing there with Jason. I thought, oh, maybe did our horse need blinkers or something? He looked like he just wouldn't go past. Anyway, Donica came in. He was furious. And, you know, I'll leave a few of the words out, he said. But basically he said, you just can't get past this thing. Yeah. And anyway, so that was that. So anyway, I run into Jim Bulger just soon after and I said, and Jim Bulger says, you need to come and see me. I've got a cup horse for you. I said, yeah, I know. I've just seen it. He said, no, not that one. I said, well, that one will do me. <laughs> um, so anyway, that was Twilight Payment. Wow. And uh, it's funny, he trained it for Godolphin. He obviously, Godolphin obviously thought it was no good, so they told him to put it in a sale. So he put it in one of those tried horses sale and he bought it back himself. Then he sold it to us. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that was that. He came out here the first year Huey rode him. He didn't go much good. He transferred to Joseph by then. But the next year, you know, he had an enormous year in Ireland that year, Twilight Payment. You know, he's probably, you know, second only to Stradivarius as being the informed stayer in the world. Mm. You know, everything we'd asked him to do, he'd want, he'd done well. Um, he... He'd run a blinder right up till his last run, which was in the Irish Ledger, where he just got a really bad ride. And so anyway, we put him on the plane full of confidence. And Joseph spent, well, that we were looking for a jockey. Joseph's very keen to have local jockeys here. And Joseph's so, twenty something. Joseph's yeah, probably so son of Aidan O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Dad threw actually Dean Lester, I think. Came up with it was we you know in August or September we were trying to work out who to get to ride this horse. And he's such a one-dimensional horse in that in the way you have to ride him. And Australian jockeys don't ride those front-running horses very well because they generally go too slow. Mm. So we we're really wary about who to get. We needed someone that could be told exactly what they needed to do and pull it off. And we thought, you know, if we you know the horse was going to be well you know well weighted in terms of right up in the weight, so there was you could get any jockey you liked, but. Um, you know, if you got one, a guy, a, too ex, a jockey that was too experienced, that that doesn't matter how many times you tell them what speed you want them to go, they're going to ride them the way they ride. You know, it's they just know human nature. <laughs> so anyway, Dean Lester actually suggested to Dad that he should have a chat to Jai McNeil. So he did, and he thought, oh, gee, this is a nice young fellow and so forth. And So anyway, so we booked Jai in September, I think, for the horse. Um, and the horse is still in Ireland yeah, at the time. Yeah, 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 well in Ireland. Anyway, but... Joseph spent basically an hour a night for the week before the race on the phone to Joe. I think it's a great advantage because Joseph just is not that far out of riding. Yeah. And for want of a better term, he still speaks jockey speak, if you like. So they, mm. and they, he went through every furlong of the race with him 20 was, times. Excuse me, was Joe riding him as well in work? No. No. no he rode him one morning and stuffed it up. So right. Gave I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> he gave, yeah. gave out to Werribee one morning and got it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That didn't fill anyone with confidence, mm. I've got to tell you out there. But anyway, so he went through every furlong of the race, what to do if something took him on, where to, you know, where, you know, what, you know, literally he wanted him going 12-7 this furlong, 12-4 that furlong, you know, the whole thing right through. And I think the key thing was that as you turn for home, 
the furlong polls you post mm. and in the last furlong just hope yeah. <laughs> and he said because he doesn't stop yeah but that's that was the rate of and you know Jai carried it out to a T. And so he led pretty much the whole way, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did basically he did the, the whole, whole way. way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's the second fastest Melbourne Cup ever run. Mm. Um, so that, you know, there's a huge amount of satisfaction in that, getting an old horse like that. Mm. And, and was the ownership group a bit different to normal? Didn't you have quite a lot of people in it other than Oh no, we've got the sort of <coughs> we've had sort of the same group of the same core group of um Alan Green, Brian Singer, Vin Sammartino, John Ingham. Bill Merton, Michael Gadinsky. Yep. Um, who am I forgetting? Phil Jacob. Uh, oh no, uh, Phillips so later. Yeah, yeah, he was. He's in. But yeah. that sort of core of being, you know, over a hundred horses with us. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then there's, you know, there's a few add-ons along the way. Oh, Mark Ruff's another one. Um, you know, they. So and and in in Twilight, I think we you know we had a couple of extras as well that came along came along, but but you know it's. It's the same core group that race all the, all our horses together. It's been, you know, we've had a fantastic yeah. ride together. Run a lot it? of group ones together. It's, yeah. you know, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, and so, so sort of moving back a bit, when did you start getting heavily involved in Massad and Lodge? Well, probably from the beginning, really. Yep. Yeah, um, or definitely from the beginning. So um, even, but when you were sort of growing well, up, teenager, and then in your twenties, were you? Heavily involved in racing, and then or were you doing yeah, other things? Yeah, no, pretty, I was I was involved, but we, you know, not as involved. Um, probably my involvement got more more serious after we sold out a crown. Yep. Um, and Dad decided that we'd amp it up a bit, and uh, and that was where I sort of got much more hands on. Yeah, and did you have much to do in the development of Crown? Were you? Yeah, had a yeah. lot to do with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. yeah that was a yeah. that's that took a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Awesome, and then uh, what was I going to? Yeah, I was going to say. So the punt these days, are you you bet much these days? Not really. Yeah, no, it's pretty hard to bet these days. Yeah, um, it's changed a lot, hasn't it? Oh, it has. The game's changed. You know, it's a, like everything in the world. You know, it's you know all these corporate bookmakers are smart. They you know they're after your twenty five dollar punters. Mm. And, you know, four or five times a year punter, or mm. you know twenty five dollars a week punter, or whatever they whatever they are. They don't. Sort of interested in sophisticated money, and I think that's pretty clever of them myself. Yeah. Um, but don't look. You know, it's, I'm happy to back one of ours if I th- if I think it if I think it's you know value from time to time, but it'd be pretty rare. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to get value these days. It is. Yeah. What are your um, thoughts on the whole, the great game overall? How do you think we're travelling? I think we're travelling pretty well in this country. You know, it's it'd be hard to, hard to say anything else. You know, prize money levels are fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've got to be careful about uh, what we're doing in taxing punters. Uh, you know, I think I hope we're not driving them to other sport mm. uh, because I think we, you know, we could, you know, really racing owns punting and has mm. introduced them the, the community of sports betting really, and it'd be nice for us to keep those punters. But um, I think fortunately, a lot of the other sports are pretty greedy as well, so that, yeah. so they're. You know the markets. The markets aren't exactly in the punters' favour. Um, you, know, you look at AFL football or NRL or something. I don't know how anyone ever bets on it with the way the markets are. They seem yeah. to get worse every year. Yeah. Um, well, they're correct, aren't they? Sorry, got, it's more. Got it right. I think he's got to correct the market. Well, I think he's and more, you're taking a dollar ninety. No, but he's saying it's no, more like dollar eighty-five. It's a dollar eighty-five. You know, good luck getting the dollar ninety. 
like they're dollar eighty five now. Oh, well, yeah, yeah like the percentages are going up because the yeah. they, the sports bodies charge. Well, you've more got no habit of dollar ninety, so no. I think it's, it's, I think I think what is interesting. Five percent of the death of punter at those odds. You know? Yeah, I think what is interesting is that. Um, we, you know, we introduced corporate bookmakers really, you know, into the TAB monopoly in this country, for want of a better term, mm. you know, apart from, you know, the on-course bookmakers and allowed on-course bookmakers to bet off-course, et cetera, et cetera. You don't call it 15 years ago, 20 years mm. ago, whatever it was. And the argument at the time for doing that was that the increased competition will create better prices. In fact, it's done the opposite. Yeah. It's very strange where competition is actually... Lessened, lessened, lessened the value that the punter gets. But that's just purely because the, the government and the race regulators are, need to get so much out of it to well, run yeah, the game. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, even before that they started their gouging, it was still, still, the, still the, you know, the, the percentages were still up on what they used to be. Mm. Um, you know, the tab's the tab, obviously. The takeout rate hasn't changed for the yeah. tab. Um, you know, there's no question Australian racing would have been better if it had no bookmakers. You know, if it was, you know, you look at the healthiest... It was just a state on the tab, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the healthiest models in the world yeah. are Japan, Japan and, Hong, and, Hong, Kong. and yeah. Hong Kong. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's the ideal model. But they seem, you know, I was, I, you know, five years ago I, or ten years ago, I was terrified with what they were doing with corporate markets. They would actually destroy the, the, the game, but they seemed to have managed, managed yeah. it okay. Yeah. Um, well, so ultimately, there's the punters paying for it, which is okay, <coughs> like. Well, yeah. And I'm right at the epicentre. Punters, punters have always paid for it. Yeah, yeah, it's just they, a matter of how much they're prepared to pay for it. Yeah, I mean, everything – look, I think that I've been super vocal about the taxes and everything going up, and the reality is that turnover seems to increase. It's made it very, very hard for people like me and you and yes. other sophisticated punters to win, and it's pretty hard to argue our case because it's it's really about – You can't argue good. it. Yeah. 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 So, so that's that. But, you know, I think the biggest pro- – you know, the, the obvious biggest problem we've got in this country is the – dislocation um, between, you know, uh, New South Wales and the rest of the country. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know how you fix that and, you know, I don't want to take sides. You know, I think, you know, there's plenty of arguments to say Peter Volandis has done a fantastic job. So I'm not cer- I'm certainly not going to be on here saying something mm. negative against him, but it's an absolutely untenable position that where you seem to have every state in the country that seems to be some way on the same page and one that's not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. How do you fix it? Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a big problem. You know, yeah. it's certainly... It's only you know, going to get worse. Yeah, you know, whilst... whilst, you, whilst, you, whilst can, have you had a meeting with PVL about it? Could no, you I that? haven't. You know, no, I haven't. And, uh, you know, I've seen John Massara has tried his best and if John Massara can't pull it together, I don't reckon anyone can. Yeah. Um, I think it's very sad for the industry. You know, you know, there'd be plenty of people who say, oh, well, that's wrong because the competition's created all this increase in prize money and this and that. And and that's that's true to an extent. Uh, but, you know, there's absolutely no doubt if, you know, with a, if everyone was sitting in the same room, you know, heading in the same direction, it'd be stronger again. So, so what's your biggest issue with it? What, what do you think? Oh, I just think, I think it's ridiculous. You know, the programming issues, yeah. the pattern issues, the, you know, it's just... You know, it's madness going up against each other. You know, it's, I just it don't. It certainly has changed the landscape yeah, of racing. Yeah, it's just on the absolute whole. to the madness. point where they, they want to make some really big. Like they're talking about moving the Caulfield Cup to into November and stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I used to be a fan of that, of pushing yeah. back into November. I'm not so sure about it anymore. I must say, I, I would have been pretty strong in my view two years ago. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not as I'm not as strong anymore. In fact, 
I've got to say, I've, I think what RV have got at the moment with those um, Ballarat, uh, Cranbourne, I actually quite liked that after the after mm-hmm. Cup week. I thought it worked mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And then you have your zipping classic thing at Caulfield or Sandown, wherever they're going to have it. But, um, you know, it, you know it's, that sort of seems to be out there by itself a bit. I'm not sure about it. But but I like those country, you know, those semi-country yeah. standalone meetings. I think they worked well. I went to the Cranbourne Cup. It was couldn't have had any more people there. Yeah. It was a good meeting. It was a good card. Yep. And what you what I think you get, and this is something that I don't think anyone's ever thought they've ever or you know the powers to be haven't thought about. But I'm pretty sure of this is that with Cranbourne becoming such a major major training hub now, for what even though they don't train on the race course. You seem, you know, you get all those trainers targeting that meeting. So you get, you get big fields and good fields, mm. and the same at Ballarat, you know, because so many horses trained there. Mm. So the so the days hold up very well in terms of the field sizes and field qualities. Um, I think when you do the standalones somewhere where they're not where there isn't training, I think you struggle. Yeah, yeah, cool. And um, business interests outside of racing, you're very busy with your the. Family. Is it Hudson Conway, the Hudson, family business? Yeah, Hudson yeah. Conway, yeah. And, and is that what, what do you guys do? Is it just a lot of investments? Or yeah, what? we're investing in, and uh, in property development. Are right. And do you, are you actually in construction or it's just well, we you know not we're not a we're not a, um, a contract builder, but yeah, we build things for ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. and that's yeah, that's okay. with that? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I mean look, we've we, we wouldn't say we've got any major projects at the moment, but mm. you know. But you're still good. scouting for them? Yeah, yeah of yeah, course. Always yeah. looking. Never yeah. stop. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah, cool. Um, and then, what's the future for Williams Racing? Well, what I happens think, now? Well, I think we'll we, you know we've put some horses with a number of trainers. Yep. Um, and we'll continue to race them like that. We've also got a, we've got a big string over there with Joseph O'Brien. Mm-hmm. And you know the way that works is that uh, we try and buy the horses in general as yearlings. Yep. Um, so will you be active at Magic Millions and then? No, we buy them over there as yearlings. Right. And we. You know, we leave them with Joseph until the end of their three-year-old year, and if they're good enough to come here, we'll bring them here. Otherwise, we'll disperse them. Yeah. Um, you know, we sold some of the recent horses in training sale. We've got some that are coming here early in the autumn. Um, you know, and that's you know that's sort of keeping us with the supply of our horses. And is it the volume of horses you have? Is it going to drop a lot, or is it going to? Be? Wouldn't think so. Okay, no, so it's really so. just we've we've never been a volume player. You know. Yeah. That's, what we've tried to do is have a small number of horses, that a small number of good horses, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, relative to a lot of these big, you know, stables, but um, and that's you know we'll continue to do that. We you know, we love that we love the game. It's uh, you know it's what what more would you want to do? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Drives you mad. Yeah. Gives you the best times you could ever have and the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so there's still a lot of drive to train or well, not train, but own more normal companies. Indeed. Yeah. 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 Right. And that's uh, you know I got you know I. I we sent a horse up to uh, uh, Ben and JD Hayes the other day. I went to spend the day with them just before we sent it up there at Lindsay Park, and you know it's you watch those two boys, and, you know they're in their mid to late twenties, they're finding their way, but you know they're goers, and yeah. you know they they're going to make it. There's no question they're going to make it, and uh, you know being involved with young people doing things like that, I reckon yeah. it's great. And, you know we've got horses with Chrissy Lees. Yeah, you know, he's a wonderful bloke to be associated with. Great guy, yeah. Mm. Um, and we've got someone gay. Yeah. Um, and you know, once again, Adrian, you know, you've got to be with people on the way up. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's an impressive guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, quite a few questions from the Twitterverse. Um, so I'll just rip into no them. Uh, yeah. 
So this is from Justin Fico. Biggest collect on the punt. You might not want to answer this, but Oh yeah, no, I remember I remember my biggest collect on the punt. I can tell you I won about uh, fourteen hundred. Okay. <laughs> no, I can't remember. Yeah. Um <laughs> from Daniel, why did we why did they offload Massad and Lodge? I mean you sort of talked about that. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's the way we like to do things. It wasn't going to be possible to keep doing it that way. So we thought mm. better to yeah. pass it on to someone else. Cool. Um, ben Carbano, Carbonaro, uh, how much of a role did having a private training facility like Macedon Lodge have in winning Melbourne Cups? It's an enormous advantage uh, in that, you know, as I was talking about before, Green Moon, and then certainly with Al Mandon, there's no, no, no way they would have ever won a Melbourne Cup, won anything probably if they were trained at Flemington or Rose Hill, Rose Hill or Randwick or something. And no. is, is things – one of the big issues a lot of people talk about is having to get up at three or four in the morning. What time does everyone get up at – what time did everyone get up at Macedon? Well, we start at first start, first light. Right. So, so you, you can know, sleep – basi- so pe- basically, they start at five. Right. You know? So people get a yeah. – it's not the cra- not having no, to wake no. up at three in the morning. No, they can have a – fundamentally, they have a proper job at our place. Yeah. You know, it's uh, – as opposed to being, you know, knocking off at 8 o'clock in the morning and having to come back at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And do you feel that, I mean, it must have made a difference oh, to we staff? Oh, we, we had much better staff as a yeah. consequence of it. Yeah. No question about that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, but just the facilities at Macedon Lodge as well. You know, it's a, it was horse heaven, really was. Lots and of pools and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but just the environment. Yeah. You know, I think, the, you know, it's, we had all the, all the training aids, for want of a better term, but just the environment of being in the country, it just unwinds the horses. Yeah. And, you know, for our sort of horses, that's and Nick, key. Did your dad get most of those ideas from travelling to overseas, of course? Yeah, he did. Ireland. Yeah, he'd been everywhere. You know, he's been to all these places. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the European way. They have the well, it is. Ideas, you know, it's, yeah. you know we, we as probably they're worse than us at doing this, but, um, you know, we like to think that we do everything better. And, you know, I'm sure we do do two-year-olds and sprinters mm. better than they do. But, mm. but the truth is that they've been training horses there for four or 500 years. Yes. You know, is there bad trainers there? Of course, there's stacks mm. of them. But, you know, I'll tell you what, there's the best too. And if mm. you look at what they do... And would you say the Irish are the best at it or...? Oh, I th- you, know, you know... It's hard to single them it's hard, out. hard to go past Aiden, but... Yeah, the yeah. Irish seem um, to be great horsemen. And Jim Bolger and, uh, you know, it's uh, they're pretty good at it. But, you know, John Gostin's no, no, no slouch. Sure. And they, William Haggis, they, I would have thought they're yeah. pretty smart. No, you know, Charlie Appleby, there's yeah, good ones. You know, yeah, he, he battles a bit, doesn't he, Charlie? You know, he's only... only only wins two or and three great ones a week. Of course, the great French trainer. Um, Andre Fab. Andre Fab, yeah. Or as a couple of people in our stable call him Andy Fabry. Andy Fabry. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, yeah, I must say we've had a couple of horses from Andre. It's a, yeah. it's a fair guide actually when you get horses off trainers about, you know, if you can improve them or not improve them. We had no luck getting anywhere with anything for Andre Fabs. Mm. You know, he, he's, he gets everything out of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing left. Yeah. Um, why did they sell Swan Bay? It was the perfect horse for Australia. Um, because it, uh, this, and this is one thing that's never changed with us. Everything's for sale. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's we've so, you know years ago we sold a horse called Subscribe, who went on to be Vengeance of Rain, was ranked number one horse in the world. Uh, Swan Bay, we got an offer that we thought was pretty good, and and you know, so we it pays for a lot of others. Yeah. So that's why yeah. we sold him. He's yeah. up there in Hong Kong now with David Hayes. Yeah. Uh, in fact, do you think he had his first start for him last Sunday? So how'd he go? Uh, I'm not, I actually don't know. I just yeah. don't, you know, JD told me that he was running. I haven't I haven't even looked at it. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, I know that I know that David was happy with him. 
Cool. Uh, this is from Mitch. Um, will we see any of his O'Brien train horses make the trip over anytime soon? Yeah, we're planning on bringing a team to, uh, uh, you know, all being well, um, Sydney in the autumn. So that's, that's Sydney our Cup. Hope. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's our hope at the moment. Okay. Might try and go and bring some of that Sydney money back to Victoria for its rightful <laughs> home. Excellent. Um, this is from John Pompey. It's long... Longer question. RV are looking to expand the spring carnival. This would have implications for the autumn. You've been on record saying that the Blue Diamond should be double the prize money and pushed back. What other changes would you make? I don't know whether, I, whether I've ever said the Blue Diamond should be pushed back. I think it should be double the prize money. Um, I think what would be even better is if the, if the size produce at Flemington was double the prize money and became a Group 1 and you had a proper two-year-old two year old race down the straight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bring it back to 1,200. Yeah, yeah, I think there is a enormous opportunity for Victoria to create a seriously big two-year-old race. I think, you know, without without uh, wanting to pot it, Blue Diamond's a great race, but it's a Caulfield. Now, Caulfield's a difficult track, mm. um, difficult for visiting horses particularly. Um, you know, so I think, you know, you know it's, it's probably, oh, that's always going to, Make it a bit difficult, a little bit difficult for Caulfield because of, you know people feel they have to run the pre-yards and so forth, but you know to give their horses a run there before a, a main race, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not sure, but but you know that seems to be the general gist of interstate trainers. But you know with the Sydney weather in the autumn, you know I, I love the Golden Slipper. You know I think yeah. I find it fascinating. You know the the two races in Sydney I find fascinating are the Golden Slipper and the Doncaster. I love them, mm. um, but. You know, it's there's a great opportunity because of the wet weather in Sydney in the autumn, and the reality is six, or, se wet, six yeah. or seven out of every ten golden slippers are run on heavy tracks. I would have thought there's a great opportunity for Victoria to offer alter an alternative. Yeah, and you know, I'd love it to be down the straight at Flemington. I reckon it'd yeah. be, I reckon it'd be a wonderful sight. Yeah, having, you're right. That having a full field of two-year-olds running down the straight. Twenty-four. 24 horses? Well, you'd, no, I don't think you can get that that many in a two-year-old race. I don't think the stewards would let you, but yeah. you'd have a decent field, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah but 16 would be plenty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'd be wonderful, I reckon. Seems like a great idea. Yeah. 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 So that's I'd love to see that. But see, Melbourne uh, are very traditional about everything they do. Yeah, they so, don't like change, Melbourne. No, so they I don't. I saying this yesterday. Yeah. They, they like keeping things how it was, but you're right, though. They <coughs> should have a, 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 a big two-year-old yeah. race at Flemington. I'd love awesome. to see that. Yeah. Um, you know, without, uh, mm. but I say that without wanting to encroach on blue on, on the blue diamond as well. You know, everyone's mm. got their place, and yeah. you know, Josh Blanksby will probably ring me when he hears this and say, "How dare you <laughs> say that?" But you know, it's, but I would like, you know, yeah. as a racing purist, I'd love to see it. You know, it's mm. there used to be a fellow in the media here called Shane Anderson. Yeah, good guy, great he, guy. And he used to say, I remember he used to have a saying about the race program for Australia. He used to say, "What, you know, what the authorities need to do is get a big bit of butcher's paper and start from the beginning." Yeah. And it's true, you know, but if you could ever get Victoria and New South Wales to talk together and, you know, the other states to fit in and, you know, work with them as well, you know, we it's it's not like it. You're never going to get, you know, 50,000 people going to the races every Saturday like they did like they did 50 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever it is. Times have changed. People are into events. Yep. And, you know, we've got, to, we've got to really all make our carnivals as strong as they can be and I think, you know, if all the states could work together, so, you know, it's Sydney here, it's Melbourne there, or it's, you know, it's Rose Hill here, and then it's Randwick there. Well, that's the way it used and to it's, be. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, this is Caulfield's time, this is Flemington's time, this is Mooney Valley's time. Yeah. And, you know, if you, and you have the proper support cards interstate to, 
boosts the turnover and so forth, but not compete at that. You know, I think it's there's a there'd be a huge huge advantage for the whole game, and that and that'd take some reprogramming, and yeah. that's where you need a bit of butcher's paper. Yeah, um, and you know, it's like the AFL or the NRL or whatever. You know, there's some immovables in the, that yeah. you're never going to be able to change. You know, like the Doncaster, like the Blue Don, like the Golden Slipper, like Cup Week. Mm. But yeah, you've got to work around those immovables mm. and make the program as as good as you can for the rest of it. And 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 it's not just the where the major races are; it's programming the lead ups because you want the punters to see the horses mm. on the way through. You know, obviously, and uh, so it's you know so it seems to be so many races in this country that you know I you know it's hard to program your horse to get it to where you want to get it to because the lead up races are in the wrong spot. Yeah. But, you see, as punters, we don't really see. Yeah, you don't notice that. it. Yeah, not really, because we just. Your drives us mad. Yeah, I can understand. Program yeah, horses. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. There's uh, a lot of punters don't see about what goes into training. Of course, punters, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're watching for a minute the before the race. The patience and what you got to do with them, and well, that's you know, it's 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 a funny thing, and everyone, you know, I, I always, you know, I've, you know, from time to time, had a go at people when they're saying, you know, punters deserve to be, you know, running the industry and doing that, and. You know, I always say, well, punters don't deserve to do anything. Mm-hmm. Punters have got no say in the industry. They're, they're not even involved in the industry. All that. I said, I said it's up to others to, to uh, it's up to the industry to to uh, administer itself. But it needs to acknowledge that the punters are its biggest customer. Yeah. Uh, cool. But punters are, and that's, you know, I think a lot of people fail to understand that punters are the customer. Yeah. And you know, you, if you want to. If you want to make money, you need customers, don't you? Yeah. Well, so. The two most important in people in racing are horse owners and punters. That's right. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> They're right. Correct. <laughs> without those two, there's nothing. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I'd, the, the I'd whole say, industry I'd lives say, off without that. without owners. There's nothing. That's there's nothing. The, owner, yeah. the, there's owner, nothing. Yeah. the owners are the most important. The punters, yeah. well, they go hand in hand. Well, there's, but there's but there's no racing without owners. Yeah. There's the no racing without owners. Owners, yeah. owners are punters, like owning only racehorses. A hundred percent. But they're the two most important. But you know, the owners provide the capital of the industry. Hundred percent. And it's. You know, it's you wouldn't say it's one of the greatest business decisions you could ever make buying a buying a, ha- a horse. No. Uh, it's not like buying you, a house. You, you've <laughs> made a lot of bad business decisions. Of course. <laughs> you know, it's I've got a dear friend in New Zealand, Graham Rogerson, yeah. and he says, mm-hmm. and you know, I'll take it. He goes, "Oh, matey, buying a horse." You know, he says it's like the stock market, but better. <laughs> you know, you know, well, I don't know. I haven't seen that bit of it, but yeah. anyway. Um, <laughs> it's like <a> stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's a funny man. A oh, fantastic. Yeah, he's a great. Fantastic. Man. He's got a great saying. Actually, he says, um, "This is you know." He talks about the, talking about the importance of owners. He says, "Look, it works like this." He says, "You've got the money, yeah. and I've got the experience." And he said, "In two years' time, I'll have the money, and you will have had the experience." <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's one of the great sayings. That's his phrase. Yeah. One of the great sayings yeah. in racing. Yeah, um, trackside Trav, big, big question. Does Nick believe Darren Weir deserves another chance or be done with him in the training ranks? Yeah, it's a question I can't really answer. Um, I'd have to say I'm I'm seriously of the view across the board that if you get charged with something and you get convicted of something and they sentence you to two weeks, two years, 20 years, whatever it is, if you, you've done your time, you've done your time, you should, you know, be allowed to get on with life, but I also understand the other view about um, you know whether people are suitable to be in the industry and so forth. And I think it's a terribly hard question yeah. to answer. But you know, I don't, I I have a fundamental issue with with you know what do you get four years? I think 
you know, is did he get four years or did he get life? Or did he get yeah. four years with the ability to get retried after four years? You know, it's yeah. You know, I, I, sure. I don't like There should be some finality to it. Yeah, yeah, I think there should be, but you know, it's but it never is unfortunate. But then I look then, then I look at it and I think, well, here's Darren Weir and he's probably, you know, what's gonna happen with the antis the day he's standing up there getting his next Melbourne Cup, you know, yeah. it's gonna be the greatest kick in the guts. Mm. For, that, yeah. that could be so. So I, you know, I don't. You mean the people who are against horse racing? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. So I don't. I, I don't. I don't envy the uh, authorities that have to make yeah. the decision. Mm. You know, if I was Darren Weir, I would. I would. You know, you could only say his behaviour since it's happened, the way he's accepted his penalty, behaved since has been exemplary. You know, he's he's disappeared into the background. Yeah. He's done everything he can not to you know, bring racing into disrepute or be seen anywhere. So I don't know what else he could have possibly done. Yep. But, you know, it's it's a tough decision they've got ahead of them. So, I don't, I, you know, I don't know the answer to it. I wish yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, knowing what's – this is from Daniel on Twitter. Knowing what StarCraft did on the world stage, putting the financial reward aside, do they regret retiring Reset when they did? Oh, we would have loved to have gone on with Reset, but he had a bit of a problem and it wasn't going to be possible. Um, oh, he was a super horse. Yeah, yeah, he really was a super. Horse. Yeah, he had the four starts and he five, 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 and he never five, really five, reached his potential, did he? We can't have. Well, well, he had the five starts. Yeah. Well, he won all five. He won. Yeah, five, yeah I meant five. Yeah. What was his? Five. What was his? It was a Zabiel horse, wasn't it? Yeah, Zabiel. He was. What was his biggest win? He won the guineas and yeah. then he won the. Um, he won the guineas and then he won the. What's it? At Caulfield, the Group One race. Um, the Futurity. Or something. The Futurity. Yeah. yeah, and he was. He, he was. Actually, getting ready to go the all age. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a great horse. He's a great horse. Had his first start on Boxing Day, and he and he only finished racing in March. And yeah. His last start was the Guineas or, or the Futurity. I can't whichever one came yeah. first. They're different. Now, like, be, is it pushing twenty years ago since he? Yeah, I think it probably. Put, yeah, well, it must be. Yeah, it must, yeah, it would be, be twenty years ago because he's twenty. Yeah, I was going to. Yeah, so about, he was yeah. racing seventeen years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. two thousand five or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I remember up, we were in the room at that stage of the commission. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know he was. Uh, no, he was. I remember being on it a couple of times. <laughs> I do remember one of the funny stories with uh, Reset was I was standing in the mounting yard at, on because he wasn't entered in the guineas, and you know it's an early early entry race, and you know he hadn't had his, had his first start uh, on Boxing Day. And one of the funny stories about this is actually we used to every month we used to put out a list of horses for sale in those days. You know it was faxes back then, and we used to. <laughs> I had this, fat, I had this list, you know, list of people you fat, you know, of every bloodstock agent in the world, but you know, of all these horses, you know, we'd have twenty horses for sale every month. You'd see, you know, he'd sell four or five in a month, but you know, he was on that list for I reckon six months, wow. unraced, uh, unraced. Yeah. Um, anyway, those boys out there didn't think much of him, and anyway, that soon changed. But um, I remember anyway standing in standing in the mounting yard before the guineas and. Was one of an elderly lady was there and um, talking to one of her friends and she said, "Oh, how about that Lloyd Williams? You know, can you believe him? He's how ridiculous is it? He's paid the forty thousand late entry just so he can have a runner in the guineas. You know, well, you know, isn't it ridiculous? Yeah. Anyway, he was favourite. Anyway, it's a, it was a great race set. You know, he, uh, yeah. it was about thirty five degrees that day and he he puts uh, Starcraft to the sword. Yeah, and Starcraft is a brilliant yeah. horse. Yeah, my word, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. favourite for a cox plate. Yeah, yeah, he could have done anything. Reset, you know. I, yeah, you, know, you just, you know, I, 
I'm not telling you he would have won a Cox Plate because I personally I don't reckon he would have got a mile and a quarter, but he might have. Who knows? Yeah. Well, that's right. You never know what no. horses can do. But um, it, it it just goes to show. But horses, you know, you've seen a lot of. There's been a lot of great race horses that never had long careers because yes. of injuries. It, it happens to a lot of them. Yeah, it does. Um, they're very fragile. You know, they are very fragile, and that's you know what. You know, you see some horses like Winxes and that. She was very sound, evidently, through her career. Yeah, yeah which, which is which is a big plus when they're sound. Black Caviar. I yeah. think Black Caviar had a few problems as as a two year old. But well, um, but she's a sprinter. They but, don't have to do anything. But she's a sprinter. But but I think of course she you had know, a few problems as a two year old. She didn't have to go through that grueling gold flipper right. thing, and that probably made her yeah. older life better. Yeah. Well, one yeah. last question for you, which you can abstain mm. from if you want. Is Winx better than Farlap? Couldn't tell you. Okay. you know, how do you know? Can I answer that question? Yes. Well, to- two totally different eras. You're talking about a horse who used to have four, maximum five runs of preparation. Kingston Town. Oh, Kingston Town. Four and Sorry, a week. Farlap. <laughs> Farlap won yeah. five races in two weeks, four, four Melbourne Cup week. Yeah. It won the – so it won the Cox Plate. Then a week later it won the, what they call the McKinnon. It was called the Melbourne Stakes, which is the McKinnon now. Then on the Tuesday, that was 2,000. Then it went to 3,200 on the Tuesday. Then on the – Thursday it won the Lindica, which was a mile then, 16, we came back to 16. Then on the last day it won the CB, Fisher played over 2,400. That's what it had to do in one so, week. Well, then don't sit on the fence, say that Farlap's better than Well, I'm not saying it's better, but era. you're talking about totally different ways of training, so, yeah. what a horse had to do. Now, but it sounds like you want to say that Farlap's better. That's, I just well, want an answer. Well, I just want a clear answer. Well, have done that. She never won past 2,000 in open So have you worked it out, have you decided that Farlap was better? No, I'm not saying I don't know who. Well, they could. I, my opinion can't. is Winx is better, but. Well, they're tra- trained Different areas, you can't compare them. Fair enough. In the best on their day. Rob Laver better what than Roger Federer. But what distance are you yeah. talking over? Any oh, distance. What yeah. Winks would beat, what, from 12 to 3,200, Winks would beat Farlap. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, it's hard to say. How do you know well, how Winks would go over 3,200? Well, that's right. She never won past 2,000. I think right. the big thing. <laughs> you know, so would she get 2,400? Maybe she would have. Maybe she would have got 3,200. But you're talking about a horse that did win from 1,200 to 3,200 in, in Farlap. The big thing yeah. you've got to remember too. And carry unbelievable weight. Yes, yeah. but there's, they're different horses. Understand, right, so whilst you hear a lot of people these days <coughs> um, having a go at the imported horses here and a lot of people have a go at me because they say I want, I want the tracks to be softer, That's not that's like, which is actually not true, but the reality is every horse that races in Australia today is an imported horse, has imported bloodline, <laughs> right? So it, the days of the colonial breads that were tough, really tough mm, bread yeah. to run on oh, concrete are gone. Yeah, um, you know if you go through the form guide for any of the any any of the race meetings this weekend, there will not be one colonial bred horse running. They're all they're all international bloodlines, which obviously started, you know, on mass through Danehill. But, yeah. you know, there's just about nothing that runs here that hasn't got Danehill blood in it anymore. Um, so it's it's a different game. And the horses, what they are is because they've got, had a much longer breeding breeding history overseas, they've got, they, they, they are a more finely tuned athlete mm. and they're brittle. Mm. Well, they're more brittle. Mm. So what, so the Farlap analogy, which is a great one of, Four runs in a week. They just can't do it. Yeah. They can't do it now. That's right. No, physically, different, they're, different they're, they're, they're a different animal. Mm. And and it's not just the ones that have hopped on a plane. It, it doesn't matter where they're born. Mm. It's the same story. And that's, you know, it's uh, it's just the way it is. And that's mm. you know, it's, it's that's why you know I 
I quite enjoy having this argument with all these people about tracks, you know, because they say, oh, you know, your overseas forces can't cope, cope with firm tracks. I said, you've got no trouble with firm tracks. Just can't cope with the road. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's a funny thing about the tracks, and you would have noticed this in, because we're a bit older. Once upon a time, you'd have a fast track. You don't have fast tracks no. anymore. Fast track was like yeah. that. Um, they've learned to water the tracks more and make it more more comfortable for the horses. Yeah. You know, talking about those horses back in the day, they'd run on concrete, uh, even in the 80s I'm talking about, but 80s and even the, into the, the 90s. The interesting thing is if you go back through history, as mm. I understand it, very rare that you'd see track records broken on those flint-hard tracks. It's always when they had a little bit of giving them yeah. the horse will run their right. yeah. Now, I suppose they it's like the, like the athletes yeah. running on the rubber yeah. as opposed to what they used to run on in yeah. the old days. You know, they run faster on the rubber. Yeah. But it's... But also what we so what we have in Melbourne as opposed to Sydney is you know and I don't you know it's you should have our tracks in Sydney really because you know with the rain you have the profile of Caulfield and Flemington is only about 150 mil thick so uh, underneath that 150 mil you have road base which is you know rock hard road base which is the drainage layer for the to get the water out of it. What it does, it creates wonderful all-weather tracks so we don't get those horrible bogs mm. like you have in Sydney. But also what it does, when they get firm, they get really firm. And because the overall thickness of, of the material is not very thick, there's no cushion in it. Whereas, you know, if you go to Randwick and it's, you know, like it was last Saturday, as fast as it could ever be, you know, but the reality is the Randwick track goes to the centre of the earth. So it's got a lot of cushion in it even when it's very firm. Um, so... You know, it's that's the difference in the tracks. You know, we've started creating these tracks down here to create with the create, to cope with the wet weather. Mm. But you pay for it mm. on the on the dry days, and that's where the, why they have to put the water on them. It's, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. And yeah. That's you know, that's why Mooney Valley is. You know, it's a worn out track these days. Obviously, it it's going to be rebu rebuilt soon. But it's been a terrific all weather track. That's like yeah, Canterbury, when they, when they, brilliant. Yeah, mm. In the early two thousands, when that started, yeah, the, oh, sorry, as, the mid nineties wasn't. Yeah, nineteen ninety three was the first yeah. year. Nineteen ninety five was 90, the first. Nineteen ninety five. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember that was a night meeting. Yeah, oh, I remember the Cox Plate that year. Yeah. It wasn't great. Didn't enjoy it much. The <laughs> rail was off. The rail was off. Yeah. <laughs> great G Hawk. Yes. <laughs> and just on Winks, um, after she won her fourth Cox Plate. Was there any talk between you and your dad if we owned her? We'd be because you know there's a lot of talk. Runner in the cup. Everyone wanted to run in the cup. Did you guys ever have conversations if oh, you owned her? Would you not a chance? You wouldn't have run her. No, no. So she's no, you would put no, her straight out after the fourth. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. That no, was no. her pattern. Yep. That was that's she. She she never had to run after any of her. I don't. Place. I actually don't. I think she was. She's a great credit to her trainer. Mm. She wasn't as sound as you think. Yep. And he managed her beautifully. He did. He, he nearly, traded to perfection. He nearly got caught once when he ran her in. Um, he got on, got himself on what turned out to be the wrong leg, but it was uh, it worked out okay. Where he ran in the Underwood and the Caulfield Stakes into the Cox Plate, and she nearly didn't make it. You know, and, you know mm. it's, uh, those two runs at Caulfield really took a toll on her. He, from that, that year on, he changed the program to her running in the Turnbull and missing. You know, having one run and three weeks into the Cox Plate. And, you know, he managed – Chris Waller managed that horse magnificently. He did. He trained it to perfection. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. you can't yeah. – you can't – Brilliantly. You know, I don't, I don't know what happened with Farlap. I don't know how it was managed, but it couldn't have been too well. It ended up dead. <laughs> um, but He went you know, overseas. Yeah. Um, Mexico. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's what – to keep a horse going like that for as many seasons as he did, God, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we had a great old horse zipping. Yeah. And, you know, it's 
you know, he had he had ailments, but it probably, he was probably a similar situation to her. Wish wish he was as good as her, but but he was a great horse. He had ailments, but they were manageable ailments as long as you know, as long as you, you knew what they were and you had mm. to play to them, you know, and, and make sure you didn't you didn't create trouble. And what Chris did with that horse, I think it's I think it's one of Absolutely. the modern great training yeah. feats myself. Yeah. You, you know, know, over my, that my period, word, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It was, <coughs> it was so well handled, beautifully handled, beautifully handled. You know, he, he kept her in her reasonable comfort zone, and to run her in a Melbourne Cup, God only knows what it might have done. To mm. So you guys, if you owned her, you never would have. No, no. you got to do what they can no. do. Yeah. Well, before you run her in a Melbourne Cup, you'd have to run her in a Caulfield Cup, yeah. and you get twenty four hundred strong. But you think it would have broken her Melbourne Cup? You just wouldn't. You have to start, You know, she's a mile and a quarter. Yeah. That's what she, she was. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. yeah. You but keep you horses. Know, it's like black <laughs> caviar. <laughs> you know, you kept her in the sprinting. Same thing. Well, I tell you, it was. I was having. A drink one night with a fella by the name of Stewie Ramsey, who's a mm. big breeder, and a good fella Stewie Ramsey. Big, he's a bro- horse breeder, cattle breeder, and he was essentially the underbitter on Black Caviar in that mm. he's Moody, he's one of Moody's customers, and he said if you buy her under two hundred thousand, she's mine. If you want to keep going after that, you can have her. Mm. Moody paid two ten and Stewie bags three cents yours, right? Number ten grand. <laughs> and as Stewie, we were having a drink one day, and he said, "You know," he said, "But the thing is," he said, "I haven't lost all this." He said, "Because if if Black Caviar's was he was his or mine, given the fact she was five hundred and eighty kilos and unsound her whole life, we would have pinched a Group One and retired her straight to the breeding barn." Mm. You know, so it was only that. She was owned by a big syndicate, mm, and it was, and, and they, you know, they, yeah. you know, were throwing the odds at it that we had this wonderful horse. Yeah. So you know, it's a credit to an them and Moody, yeah. but you know, it's it's true. You know, if it was owned by a sort of a big player in the game, yeah. the horse would have the it would never have gone through that because you would have said, God, you know, this is only a matter of time before disaster strikes here, yeah. and you would have retired her. Because re- reset, you sold reset, didn't you? It was a big stud. Was that the biggest stud deal you've ever done? Yeah, 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 it was. It's interesting. It just shows you these oil, oil oil wells aren't bad business. In this, I think either the same day, certainly the same week, Sheikh Mohammed bought both Reset and Exceed and Excel. Yeah, um, yeah. That, was, know, that, that's, that was sort of the, the week. That was the sort of the start of the mega money for Stallions, wasn't it? Sure. It feels yeah. like, and then it yeah. just after that it was just massive deal after massive. What deal. did what did that you sell Reset for? Was it I'm bound by confidentiality. Yeah, no, worries, no worries at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never heard it. That's why yeah. it must be confidential. Yeah, there's plenty of money. <laughs> <laughs> and the oil well was good. Yeah, the oil, but the it, oil business was good. That but way. it is remarkable, isn't it? You know, like you know, Reset had a few fertility issues, as it turned out. But he was a pretty good stallion. You know, I'm not yeah. saying he was an A grade stallion, mm. but he was, you know, he was a good stallion. You know, he got good horse. Good, yeah. You know, he left some good horses. You know, we're fortunate. We had his probably had his best son. Um, Who was that? Uh, Faulkner. Yes. Um, Faulkner. But. You know, Exceed Excel's been an extraordinarily good state. Yeah. And Alan Osberg just passed away too, didn't he? Sorry? Didn't Alan, Alan Osberg just pass away? He was I don't of, know. Yeah, he was one of the owners. Was of, he? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Him and, and, and Moratus. No, Moratus no, owned it. Moratus owned it. Moratus and Alan Osberg oh, okay. Osberg was owned it, it and they yeah. both passed away in the last six yeah. months. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. He was pretty old, Nick Moratus. Yeah. Yeah. Timmy Martin. I think they sold a Timmy Martin No, Timmy Martin... What other good horse did he pick out? He picked out some good ones. He did. Gonski. Gonski, of well, course. Gonski, yeah. But yeah, yeah that was just... What was he? He had a good... Well, he's probably his last good horse. He bought it as... He paid a fortune yeah. for it as a foal. Paid seven or 800000 for it as a foal. I can't Not think wanted. 
No, yeah. I can't I'm not think the one who was that great a horse. No, it was all right. Though. It was it all right, but it was one of those. But exceeding excelling, he had another one. I'm just trying to. He did. Yeah. Good trainer. Yeah. My word, very good horseman. Yes, yeah, my word. Yeah. All right, I think we're we're done, yeah. boys. So okay, thanks, mate. mate that's thank you very much fantastic. for giving us your thank time. Thank you very yeah. much. It's been been a great, pleasure. Great no problems. And um, good luck with the future of no problems. Williams Racing. Yeah, good. We'll see you next week for this again. Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Well.